Well, praise the Lord, and thank you all so much for this opportunity to be with you again. Uh, your support for us is massive, and your love for us is just overwhelming. Uh, all these years, uh, from 32 years ago, when we had two children, and we came and sat in the back there until today, you've been a loving family to us, and we're just absolutely grateful. It's always nice to come and preach uh, at KPC because um, most of the most of the message has been presented by the time I get here. <laughs> so Ellie and I were looking at each other when the two Nancys and the rest of you were up here and Jonathan, everybody saying things and singing things, and we were nodding our heads. And Nancy was going, "Well, okay, okay, yeah, there it is." You know. <laughs> so it's kind of nice, you know. The message is done, and then I just get to kind of come in and you know, put a little framework around it, and uh, praise God for that. It is great to be a people to whom God speaks, and in whom God, and through whom God, you know, speaks and lives, and that's us, and we're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. Um, my lovely wife, Ellie, is with me, and she doesn't always get to be here, so she's back there. And she'll be with me uh, in the Acts 13 there as well. Our family's doing great, and we'd love to talk more about that. I'll share some ministry stories as, uh, as I preach uh, in my message, but uh, I won't be able to tell a lot of the country names or details like that for security reasons. But you, if you want to hear more, you can join us back there with the long-standing faithful Ginny Bellamy, who keeps pushing us in missions. To this day, thank you, Jenny, for your great work. We'd love to have you back there with us. Uh, I lead two ministries. Uh, the first is I-10. If you want to go ahead with these, I don't have a clicker, so we have human clickers. Um, there we go. International Theological Education Network is the theological education ministry of the EPC. We have 10 sites where we have seminaries or schools that we are... Uh, uh, serving, we're helping to, to train and to uh, assist the leaders of these seminaries to bring them into a, a full capacity to teach and send their own uh, missionaries and pastors in. All of them are in proximity to unreached people groups in some very hard and, and strategic places. We praise God for that. So we have 10 countries there. And then the Institute for Reformation, which is really forged out of here with uh, my beloved uh, Dave Vatorf and and all of you as a congregation and many others, uh, you know, just behind that, it came out of our work here. Wow, I'm getting to see all kinds of wonderful people. This is like homecoming. Great to see you, brother. Um, but this, this, that really came out of here. Uh, it's, it's training uh, for Christian leaders uh, to serve in society, even for a reformation of their nations and a national movement to Christ. We've seen this in Eastern Europe and other parts of the world now. Uh, quite exciting. We're very focused in uh, two Eastern European countries. One of them is Ukraine, and um, I'll share a little bit about that as we go. Uh, why do we do what we do? Um, go to the next one, please. The, there are a lot of reasons. Next slide. There you go. Five million clergy in the world, and only 5% of those are trained with anything up to even approaching, um, you know, basic theological training for ministry. Uh, that's from Glo uh, Center for Study of Global Christianity, that statistic. 7,416 unreached people groups in the world, which are, still need reaching, okay, in case anybody was wondering. 
and uh, we're working among some of those. And 41.8% of the world's population uh, in those groups. So that's a lot of people that still need to have the opportunity to know uh, about Jesus Christ. And that's, that's why we're, we're working like we are here together. And the bottom line is, is whether you got statistics or not, I mean, we have the strong, solid word from Jesus Christ, go and make disciples, baptize them, and then particularly in our case, in my case, teaching them to obey in all things, which is the Reformation Society and so on, uh, and, and then remembering that great word that Nancy expressed to us and, and uh, the others, that I am with you always, even at the end of the age. Praise God. So we want to get into the Word of God, and uh, I want to ask you this question. The wilderness and God's purpose. What do you think of when you hear that word wilderness? What do you, what do you see? What images of a wilderness come to you? What's that? The devil's temptation in the wilderness. Okay, good. Yeah, that's good. What? Refinement. Okay, good. See, you guys are always preaching, right? That's great. You guys are hitting it right on the head. Anything else? The wilderness. What pictures? Barren. Barren. Yeah, it's barren. Right. Well, yeah. Dry. Exactly. So there, here's one image of the, of the wilderness. Next slide. You know, that's the, that is actually the Lewis Fork Wilderness Area. That's what it's called. It's in Mount Rogers over here in Virginia. It's a great place to backpack. You can see those ponies when you're, take, you know, you're backpacking up in the mountain there. That is a wilderness, and so some wilderness ideas that we have might be pleasant, uh, but others are a little bit more like what you guys had in mind, and those are the, the wildernesses of the Bible. And this is actually a Judean wilderness. That's where Jesus went when, Joe, he was tempted uh, by the devil. So... There are seven characteristics of biblical wilderness, according to Dr. Jack Beck, a lecturer at Jerusalem University. And those are, that is vast and rugged place, all, all the biblical wildernesses. They have little water, without grain, limited population, few travelers, without borders, and they basically just lack everything. When you put, what does that mean, the metaphors of Scripture and these locales, and what do they import to us? As we walk our spiritual journey, they, those things, uh, those applications, you want to go ahead, please? That means uncomfortable, deprived, isolated, lost sense of identity, an acute felt need that we have. Now, this is Jonathan up on the top deck. This is her on the dock, right? This is, this is when we just don't have what we essentially need, and that's what the wilderness experience can really be like. What are your wildernesses uh, these days, personally? What is our wilderness? Anybody think we've had a little bit of wilderness, uh, you know, globally or nationally lately? Yeah, right. I won't even mention the word we don't even like to say anymore about, you know, disease and stuff. And uh, all these things. And we, we have a lot of forms of, of wilderness in, uh, in, in a corporate way as well. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit is at work in the wilderness to fulfill God's purpose in us. 
So the text for this morning is Luke chapter 3. If you want to go ahead, please. It's verses 21 and then all the way to 443. But you don't have to worry about the roast in the oven, as they used to say. Um, I'm not going to read all of that. I'm just going to read some select parts if you want to just listen with me now. These are portions about the baptism, genealogy, temptation, and early ministry of Jesus. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as he was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Then it goes on with the genealogy. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Then it follows the three specific temptations, uh, the devil to which Jesus responds with Scripture. Verse 13, And when the devil was en- had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. Verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now he's becoming quite popular. Then it's there that he quotes Isaiah 61. He says of himself, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then this passage ends in 42 through 44. And when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place. Now he's choosing to go to the wilderness. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And then he went and he was preaching. These are the words of the Lord. And we ask you, Lord, to open our eyes to these scriptures that we might live through the wilderness to be a people who have power to be witnesses and go out with your power in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I see here three works of the Spirit in the wilderness that lead to the fulfillment of God's purpose And the first is that in the wilderness, the Spirit affirms with fatherly love. Verse 22, chapter 3 in Luke. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. See, the Father is laying a foundation for Jesus before the Spirit leads him into the wilderness of Judea and into his ministry. And what is that foundation? That foundation is fatherly love. There are three things I quickly want to mention about this. One is that the Spirit's uh, uh, coming and and the way in which he comes is an endorsement of the ministry of Jesus. So in Isaiah 42, we have Jesus coming as the Messiah who's going to do great things, right? But, and that's true, but many theologians like to observe that that Jesus is the beloved Son not because he is the Messiah, therefore he's the Son, right? He is the beloved beloved Son who then becomes the Messiah. So it's, it's his sonship 
that, that has him as the beloved one. It's not what he does for the Father, it's who he is to the Father, right? This is the foundation for any wilderness experience. This is the foundation for our lives. This is, the, this is what we get grounded in through Christ as a born-again believer. We now have a Father. You know, I could, I, could, I could just say, I mean, everything, you know, is taken care of by the fact that we have a Father. We have the best Father. So you can tell a lot about your life, about anybody's life. You know, do you have a Father? Well, we do. And this defines this is this great and beautiful foundation in our lives. Second thing is, how does the Spirit descend? It says, like a dove, but not a literal dove. It says, like a dove. But it also says, yet in bodily form. This is really something, folks. Uh, you know, we, we have to understand some sort of visible manifestation that gave some impression of dove-likeness was there. And... Doves in the ancient world were symbols of affection and gentleness. And uh, this is the atmosphere uh, of the Father and of his, the Spirit's approach to us. That's very much a part of this fatherly love. We know it's the Father when it's encouraging, when, when it comes with covering, when it comes with security, when it comes with tenderness, when it comes with real affection. And when it comes with that, that absolute unconditional capacity, not our earthly fathers fail us. We've got to understand this is the heavenly father who's perfect in every way like this. This is the atmosphere into which, uh, out of which you, know, you can go into any wilderness and be okay. You can be okay. And the third thing is a voice comes from heaven. And this voice defines for Jesus who he is and for you and for me. Defines whose you are, your God's. It defines who you are, his beloved son, his beloved daughter. Somebody says, well, who are you? You could say your name, but maybe next time you just say, I'm, a, I'm, I'm God's beloved daughter. What? <laughs> and to whom you have worth, because he doesn't just say, you're my beloved son, he says, in whom I'm well pleased, I'm very pleased. And you're very well pleased. And you say, well, I'm just a dirt ball. I commit a lot of sins, even after I got saved. Yes, but there's an intercessor who makes perfect who you are before the Father, whose blood has washed you, and every accusation from the devil and from your own head, your own mind, your own spirit, where you keep blowing yourself away and you're negative and you're, you're talking about how trashy you are, all of that gets, gets moved out by this intercessor before the Father. And when he looks at you, he is pleased with who he's made you, and he's pleased with who you are recreated in Christ Jesus, pure, refined, washed, and beautiful and gorgeous right before him all the time. That's how he sees you right now. And you can take that and walk through in any wilderness for sure. Notice that this is where the devil likes to attack. It it's in Luke 4, 3 that we see the specific of the devil's attack. He says, if you are the Son of God, right after he heard another voice say, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well placed. See, so watch out here, right, for the devil. Because this is where he wants to get us. He wants to get down into that identity, convince us that we're not who we are. This fatherly love foundation is beautiful and grounding. It's necessary for all of us in our own experience. 
We need to know it, not just theologically, but we need to know it in our experience. We need to have a relationship uh, that's real with, with our Father. Um, you want to go to the next slide, please? Uh, let's see. Actually, go back. Okay. That's good. I uh, went on a retreat needing to really hear the Father. I need to hear that voice from heaven. There are too many voices coming in on me. We have a lot of work. A lot of people want to do a lot of things, a lot of ideas, a lot of options, a lot of pressures, a lot of negative circumstances. In the countries that we work in, we've had a lot of wilderness. Uh, one, um, uh, no, three civil wars, one military coup. Um, uh, we've had the pandemic over the top of all of them. I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, at one point, it was like, I can't travel anywhere. They're all do not travel, level four, U.S. State Department. It's like crazy. So there's a lot of, a lot of things going on, and I said, I just, get, I just need to go. And I went to uh, Roan Mountain, Tennessee, and went up the top of a mountain in February. Just barely made it up to the top with the ice slipping, you know, the wheels slipping. And I got up there, and I spent four days there. It's the only second time I've ever done this. I'm a family guy. I have, you know, family to take care of. I can't run off like this. But I, I went up, and I needed to, and I just said, I'm going, everybody. So I was up there alone. It was really something uh, when you're alone like that. No internet, no devices, no data connection, no people, nothing. And uh, things started to happen. And I was listening to my music. I did have that, you know, from my phone. I downloaded Spotify ahead of time, obviously. And so I was walking around. I had this headset on. The headset keeps me from hearing myself. It's noise canceling. And then, but I can, like, project. So I'm up there, and, and I kept thinking, if they see me, if somebody comes up here, they're going to call 911. I guess they can't because they don't have a data signal. But, but they, you know, because I'm just praying and singing and shouting and crying, you know, just like we talked about here. But in the middle of all that, um, I was really being grounded once again in, in the love that my father has for me. In fact, the, the, you know, the, the, the first morning, been there about 24 hours, I was just looking out the window and I was eating some cereal, just sitting there looking at the mountainside. And as clear as a bell, I just heard him just say, Bruce, I really love you, and uh, I understand everything, you know, about, about you, everything. And I just was so settled when I heard the voice from heaven. It did all these other wilderness things, they didn't, you know, they all, they all got settled right off the bat. And it was so rich, I didn't want to leave any of that. I had to go in for some groceries and things, so I went to leave, and I said, well, Lord, I'm, I'm heading out, but I really don't want to leave. Like, this is so special. I don't want to hear those other voices. I'm, I'm not ready for that yet. And I said, so please, while I'm going out, I just want to really hear you keep speaking to me. Please, just, let's just keep this flow. Can we please? So I went out, and I did these little groceries. And I was heading out, and I saw this little thrift store. It actually ended up to be like the dumpiest thrift store I think I've ever been in. <laughs> I went in there. It was like some of those, you know, things you see on TV where you've got to walk through the piles of stuff and kind of going through there. But I got to one shelf, and they had things slightly organized, just a few items, and it was these items. It was these mugs that happened to be turned out eye level right there in front of me. 
And, it, and the one says, 1965 was a very good year. That's my birth year. The next one says, you are the best teacher in the world. Well, I know I'm not, but, you know, fathers say really nice things to their sons when they encourage you. And then the last one was, God loves you, and so do I. You were loved. And I said, thank you, Father, uh, that I, I'm in a little town in the middle of nowhere in a thrift store that's completely disorganized except for three mugs that speak straight to my heart and affirm me from my father's voice after I've asked him for that. And that's the way God talks to us in relationship all the time. Amen? A second work of the Spirit in the wilderness is that he guides by every circumstance. Luke 4.1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And a lot of times we think of you know, being filled with the Spirit and being strong in the Spirit is all associated with things going well. And, you know, like if, if I was really walking in the Spirit, it'd just be click, 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 you know, the things that we work in. I go over here and try this. It works. Go over here. That's nice. You know, my lawn's done. The house isn't broken anymore. My bank account's good. My job's going well. I prayed for that person. They got healed. Bop, bop, bop. Oh, that's so nice. Wow, the Spirit is working. So we, we tend to associate this sort of euphoric, uh, idealist kind of thing sometimes. But, you know, it doesn't work that way. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, it says. And remember, the only sinless man. And what circumstance, what, what situation did the Lord have for the sinless man who was full of the Holy Spirit? He led him into the wilderness. Not just for one day, but for 40. Not just to read poetry in the desert and looking at the desert flowers, but to be tempted by the devil. He was hungry. He was alone. And he was threatened. I think of Paul as well. You know, Paul, Acts chapter 20, he says that I'm going to Jerusalem. And I don't know what's going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit tells me that, it, that it, where I go, I will face imprisonment and many afflictions. How about that? How about that as you step into your ministry? There's only one thing I know for sure that the Holy Spirit told me is I'm going to get prison and I'm going to have many afflictions. Hallelujah! He keeps, and that's what he did. He said hallelujah, and he moved right into it. Okay, so, so, you know, let's be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can go, you know, go see what he's going to do. And it could be like this. The Spirit providentially guided every detail, every circumstance of Jesus' life and of ours. His times, he was 30 years old. There was a time when his ministry was supposed to start. Uh, it was supposed to be during the time of the Roman Empire, Right? That particular year in history. Psalm 139.16 says there's a time for each event in your life. Each day of your life is ordered before you're even born. It says in Psalm 139.16, In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. It's all set in place by that Father who affirms and loves us. So every circumstance is ordered. It's under his hand. 
Nothing's outside of his control. Nothing's outside of his plan. He is working every bit of it. You know, if it's a Mack truck coming at you, it's working for the good. So, this is true for Jesus, for us. His places, Nazareth, not another city, the Jordan River, wilderness of Judea, on to Galilee. His weakness is being from a humble home, humble hometown, typical education, typical career path as a carpenter, all these things. His wilderness experiences, all under the hand, you know, that every day is formed for you before you're born, you know. God chose your parents, your birthplace, your birth year, your appearance, your abilities, the events of the world around you. This is, this is what's set for you. None of it's escaped him. The Spirit guided Jesus and guides you and me in every life situation to situate your circumstances for his purpose. There was a right time and a place, an upbringing, a season of the wilderness, all of that, preparing Jesus perfectly to accomplish God's purpose. We often have a hard time seeing how, the, you know, this, how this works, right? How this could be, this situation or that. Uh, how could this be God? Why would the Lord allow this? You know, we say these kinds of things all the time and, and so on. How could this circumstance lead to anything good? But we know Hebrews 5.8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. We, we know Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, uh, called according to purpose, all things are working together for the good, right? And uh, it's important to be counseled by God's word, such as Psalm 139 and all these things I'm throwing at you here, so that we can see things as they are. Can you go to this next slide? I was hiking during this retreat up on uh, the Rhone Mountain there. Came to this one spot, just I was marking a little bit where I'd been and where I was going. So this is just trail marker, you can see Jane Bald, it's not a person's name, it's a bald is a feature of the mountain. So um, Jane Bald, 5807, it's beautiful up there, just kind of marking my path. And so I said, okay, now I'm going around here. When I came around, would you go to the next one? I saw that, it's the same sign. But I said, wow, 10 steps further from a different perspective. And now I just, what all I see is just a, a cross just stuck right in the ground making a statement on this mountain. So it's just a little visual flip there. But it, it represents to me what can happen when we get into God's counsel and look at our circumstances through that and realize that he is guiding me by every circumstance in this life. And that's how we go through the wilderness. The third thing that I see the Spirit doing in the wilderness is that he, he empowers for a specific mission ministry. And 4.14 of Luke, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit of Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So his empowerment was obviously for the purpose of a very specific mission ministry that he was conducting. Not just for his own comfort and experience. That's sure. We've been, we're talking about that. He affirms us, guides us, loves us. But we're also saying that he has specific purpose for us as we express who he is in this world. All of our needs are taken care of. We are so filled up 
we have something that we just have to pour out there. We can't help it. And that's what's happening here with Jesus. And he is empowered to go do the ministry we read about there. Uh, what does the Spirit empower you to do? What is your specific mission ministry? How, how are you so full that now you have something to, to give away? What is it that you're to be giving away and me? And so I think what we see in Jesus and the work spirit in him is that we'll go through these wilderness experiences and it helps refine, it helps drive out the fears and insecurities that we have about ourselves as he affirms us. It helps us navigate through the circumstances of life and be guided providentially and have a confidence that things are working out uh, for the good and the way that he wants. And then, then it comes out on the back side with us having a power to be a witness and service in uh, the thing that he has specifically assigned to us. And I really think it's important to realize that we do have very specific assignments from God that we can be listening for and acting on. When you, you, you see Paul say, Acts 19, you know, Jesus speaks to him uh, in his encounter on that road and says, Paul, you are to carry Jesus' name before the Gentiles and their kings and to suffer for the sake of my name. And Paul had a very specific statement. If you look at his life, that's exactly what happened. And, and so uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, uh, the sphere of service God himself has assigned us. See, that's how he refers to, to ministry that he has. Uh, in Acts 20, 24, Paul says, I do not account my life of any value or precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord to testify the gospel of grace of God. Every believer has specific assignments. Ephesians 4, 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And I love this one in Colossians 4, 17 where Paul's writing and it has a word for Archippus, one of the New Testament church leaders. It's pretty unknown to us. But he says to him, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Yeah. That you have received in the Lord. And when you're in the Lord, then you're also going to receive a ministry that's for you. And it's so good to come into clarity, come close enough to God and to be seeking God enough, and then living your life outwardly enough so that you're going to fulfill that specific thing and expect it and trust. Just know that he's going to, to empower you for it. You're able to do that. That's the point here. Okay, this, so it's not that you don't got to go muster something up. You, you're just in a position that you have power to go do something. And Nancy was sharing a little bit Nancy's story, or, uh, about her, her thing. So we... We have a specific assignment. What have you received in the Lord? Uh, what have I received in the Lord? Now, I want to share a little bit, a few stories of how I've seen the Lord work in our ministry, especially just the, the circumstances that uh, God has guided through COVID, the pandemic, and all these situations uh, that are quite encouraging. Uh, in one country... We had invested in, and actually now Albania, we had invested in the education technology for the school. 
before COVID, not knowing COVID was coming. Because of COVID, it, they jump-started into the use of that technology with their Zoom and their online training and stuff that they were trying to do. And many other people in the region and some very strategic reasons came into that. And the school doubled in its size, but actually went even more than double in the impact it had in a wide region in its, in its strategic capacity. So that was just a circumstance arranged by the Lord. Uh, in South Asia, I, where I just came from, I can't name where I was, but it's one of the least reached places on the planet with some of the hardest environment. And we saw the hand of the Lord orchestrate something that had never happened in this country before uh, this week the, uh, through, through the Christian believers that touched up in a, in a very visible and uh, healthy way. So we praise God for that. I wish I could tell you more about it here, but I can't. Um, in Southeast Asia, our work was not stopped, and we were able to keep training. Um, we saw some terrible things happen, the burning of churches, COVID, terrible conditions in a country that, that I, I won't name, and uh, in Southeast Asia. Even at the worst hour of that, our dear partner, the leader of seminary, was down with COVID. His wife was COVID, had COVID. They couldn't get oxygen tanks. So if you had, that, had it bad, you were just going to die, and they were really in bad shape totally isolated with a whole thing happening in the government that was terrible. And they had a helper come in to nurse them and try to keep them alive. And she became a believer. She came from a completely unreached community. And she got the Bible and they led her through the scriptures and discipled her a bit while they were recovering. And she went back to her whole absolutely unreached you know family network of, of dozens of family members sharing preaching and sharing you know the gospel with them so even at the darkest moment that god it is not put down and his work keeps going um in um eastern europe uh if you want to go ahead and we can go go ahead and go one more please of course, we've been training uh, Christian leaders there for 20 years through the Institute for Reformation and our work, and um, that has created a big network of people who have a capacity, Christian leaders have a capacity not just to minister in the church, but they're now having an impact in various parts of the society, uh, whether it's politics, or business, the arts, academics, schools, solving real problems in the, the country. And um, that we see in particular in Ukraine. Uh, and I've had a chance to be there doing all this kind of work. Let's keep going, please. And uh, one more. And uh, a key partner in that has been Yaroslav Lukasik. Now, Yaroslav is a longtime dear friend. We've been working 20 years in this Reformation work. And at this point in Ukraine now, where he's located, he is the leader of the East European Leadership Forum, the East European uh, Reformation Foundation. And then in the last couple of years, the, the uh, we call it COA, the, the um, Ukrainian Christian Open Academy. 
And just to get a sense of the size and scale of this, I mean, the EELF, which is tied into a really high-quality organization Eastern, in, in Europe, uh, Western Europe, and it's its mother, um, that provides training and impact for at least a couple thousand Christian leaders in Ukraine. And um, the Christian Open Academy, we've had 700 students in there. When uh, this invasion just happened, we had a group of 530 current students. And um, there are a lot of really great teachers in there, high-class people, uh, you know, like uh, John Lennox from Oxford or, or Oz Guinness or Wayne Grudem, some really outstanding teachers and trainers with this group of people. We have some other people who are not high-class uh, high people like me who also teach in that. And um, uh, it's, it's satisfying to see this kind of a network of Christian leaders who have been growing and acting, you know, and leading in the society. So when this invasion hit, we then saw, hey, we, we have even more to give. And we've seen them rising into this situation. So you see the news of the devastation, you won't see necessarily so much news about the preparation of thousands of Christian leaders that are geographically dispersed throughout Ukraine that are able to be responding at a next level, uh, and it's really an exciting time. And I want to be on Yaroslav here. Let's go to the next slide. Gennady Maknenko is one of those people. He's from Mariupol. I was supposed to be in Mariupol, actually scheduled to be there to, to teach and train for a week in mid-February. Uh, was when the invasion hit, so obviously I did, didn't go. But Gennady is, is a famous Christian, really, in Ukraine uh, and beyond, outside of the church because he boldly helped solve the orphans' uh, problem and drug addiction problems by going out into the street and challenging the government by just doing it himself. And they said, you can't do that. And he said, well, you're not doing it, so you can arrest me or whatever. But, and then he went... And it was really powerful. And so now he leads with bulletproof vests. He leads the chaplain corps out on the front lines, doing a lot of powerful ministry, evacuating people, preaching, ministering, really cool stuff. And those, those uh, chaplains are scattered throughout. So the pastors, many of the pastors haven't left their functions. They're, they're actually under fire as they go out and continue to serve as chaplains. Uh, next one. Victor is a bold young man in the 2014 initial invasion by Russia. He lived in Luhansk region, and he sent off his wife and young boy, but said, I'm a Christian, I'm going to stay and serve during this conflict. So he was evacuating with a vehicle, disadvantaged people who couldn't get out. And at, he was at risk, of course, in the middle of the fight, and he was taking them in, out. And in the middle of that, he got grabbed by the soldiers, uh, Russian soldiers. The Russian military took him captive. They tortured him. They even used electric uh, shock. And they held him for 25 days. And he finally got released and then uh, went to Kiev, settled, resettled, recovered, and kind of started back into his life there. And in this invasion, he came to Yaroslav and he said, I'm going to drive again. And so he's driving vehicles and evacuating people um, right, right now. Praise the Lord for that kind of leadership. The next one, um, Alexander Tretyak is a good friend of mine and um, colleague. He was the 
head of the seminary in Rivna, R-I-V-N-E, in western Ukraine. It's a city of 250,000 people. Uh, and then he, uh, he also became the leader of our Reformation work in that part of the world. And I was working with him in that capacity. And I, I, you know, being with him, I said, this guy is really a capable leader. He's just become just really outstanding. And uh, in 2020, apparently the citizens of Rivna thought so as well because they elected him as their mayor. And that's why he's on this CBS News. And you see a lot of interviews with him on TV in the middle of this crisis because he is a very capable, faith-filled Spirit-filled, spirit-empowered mayor leading this city. This is in a very critical situation in this whole thing um, with a lot of faith, boldness, and wisdom. And praise God. I, you know, I, I talked to him, and he said, I'm, I'm just so glad I can shepherd our people, you know, and, and lead them in such a critical time. Um, Yaroslav is helping us in the EPC, I'm working with him. The EPC has given almost a half a million dollars to this situation in Ukraine. And so through Yaroslav, much of it that is going to be going through our, our Reformation ministry here to Yaroslav and to these people who are in the best position to, to take aid and to go inside Ukraine and use it strategically. And that includes not only the bulletproof vest and tons of food and supplies and medicines, but it also includes one million scripture and prayer booklets that have been printed in Ukrainian are being distributed and other such things like that. And the hunger for God is very deep, as you can imagine, uh, in Ukraine. And people are crying out to God. And it's a great time of spiritual growth in Ukraine, and we praise God for that. So in the middle of this wilderness, he is, he's leading a whole nation to a place on the dock or at the parking ramp or on the top of the mountain like we've just talked about, crying out for God when you need him most. And I expect to see great things. We believe that my partners and I, uh, Isaiah 43 is a big message for us, that uh, remember not the former things, but I, behold, I do a new thing. Um, somebody spoke of that here this morning. I'm doing a new thing. I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in the desert. We believe that this, this invasion is actually going to turn and create the opportunity to see a fully free Ukraine, a fully free Belarus, and a breaking of the authoritarian grip and power in Russia that will also open up gospel to this entire region. And I'll tell you what, you see on TV the boldness, the bravery, the traditional morals, the, 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 the outlook of service and sacrifice that is shaming the West almost, and the patriotism you see in these Ukrainian people that everybody talks about. That is a big wave, in my opinion, that's being sent by God, and, and it will happen in the future here, I believe, that will be coming and witness to Western Europe and America, and those of us who have everything, but we're not willing to stand up and live that life with God, and it's going to witness back to us and say, look, look at what your secularism, look at what you've lost. You should be ashamed and, and get a grip on yourselves again through Jesus Christ. That's what I believe is happening there. And that's every circumstance. Yeah, praise the Lord. 
We've prayed for this for 20, for 30 years. And I believe that is every circumstance being ordered by the guidance of God as he leads us even through a wilderness. One last comment, and I'm done. It's just a story again. In Southeast Asia, we were prohibited from the in-person trainings, but we continued our work in a very strategic place. Uh, I can't name it, but it's, it would, it's a very interesting place to be able to do ministry. And we asked, brothers, how are you doing? I was on a call with my member. I said, how are you doing? And I thought, you know, I just want to know, are you still surviving? Like, are you discouraged? What's... They said, we're doing well. Said, in fact, because of COVID, our ministry was received as being so rich to the people because of their deep needs, and we were there for them like nobody else, including the government. And so we saw more ministry happen. They said, in 2020, we planted 62 churches with 2,700 people, uh, and it was our biggest year we've seen so far uh, because of COVID, they said. So praise the Lord. Right? It's like that, that, global, it's that global Mack truck, Nancy, that, that, global, that global Mack truck, you know, coming into the picture here to, to deliver more churches. And when I was training with them in March online, I said, now, you guys, give us your plan. What are you doing with this stuff? And we train a select group, and they go out and train 800 other, other ministers in this region. And they said, well, we're going here, 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 here. And I was getting in translation, and I had Joshua Project over on the side, Jenny. And I was looking at it, and my partners, and we said, oh, my goodness. Because we were seeing many of the 42 unreached people groups in this particular area that our guys were going out among to share and teach and preach and live the gospel. So nothing's stopping God's church. These circumstances are used and ordered by God, and he's setting up all these wonderful things in your life, in mine. Praise, uh, praise the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness here, and uh, we thank you that your spirit does affirm and guide and empower your people. We earnestly seek you, our souls thirst for you, our flesh faints for you. Because your steadfast love is better than life, we will bless you as long as we live. In Jesus' name, amen.